0: All right, children, this is uh, your opportunity to join me up here. We'll have a nice little chat with one another. We'll uh, talk, and your life will be forever changed. Wow, this is a tough, tough, tough congregation this morning. Not picking up my humor. It's not. Thank you guys for coming up. So let's have a seat. We'll talk about these things. And um, is everybody okay? Yeah. Good. I can't sit Indian-style anymore. Um, so anyway, it's good to see all of you. Okay, so let me ask you this question. If I were to promise to give to each and every one of you $1,000 every Sunday, would you believe it? Um, if you showed me the $1,000 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no. No. right there. Then you'd probably believe me. You said something. What did you say? Would you believe me? You wouldn't believe me. Why would you not believe me? I can see Dave not, Davis not believe me. That's okay. But, but what about you? That sort of hurts me a little bit that you would not believe me. Because you don't have $1,000. Because it, so have you seen my checking account? That I don't have $1,000? How do you know that I don't have $1,000? You have any idea? sort of address this. uh, I'm giving you a hard time, but I understand what you're saying. You won't take it? it, So you won't take it. You want me to be able to provide for my family. That's very thoughtful of you. Did you hear that, Davis? She wouldn't take the money. Okay, so, but thank you very much. I appreciate that an awful lot. Would you believe that I I could give you $1,000? Why not? Why would I give a thousand dollars to get? Maybe because I enjoy children. Um, Maybe because I want to help you out. Is that possible? Probably just spend it on toys. You would spend it on toys. Okay, so that's a lot of toys, though, isn't it? Okay, Avery, would you believe me? No. No, Why not? It's a lot of money. money. Any other reasons? Any other reasons? Do you have any idea? Okay, so most of you would not believe that, right? Now let me ask you this, because it's unreasonable. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. And by the way, I could not give away $1,000 every Sunday to you, each and every one of you, no matter how much I care about you. I couldn't do it. The reason why is because I don't have that kind of money, right? Does that make sense? So you were correct, all right? So let me ask you this. What promises have you made in life? What are some promises you've made? Go ahead. Your or, your room was organized. And it was, like, took a lot of work. We had this after lunch. It was past lunch. We started in morning. She made a promise that she'd keep her room clean forever. You made a pr- oh, let's stop right there. You made a promise you would keep your room clean forever. Which I tried to. You tried to. How long did that last? Um, one day. <laughs> so one day. So, a couple, um, three days. Three so it days. it lasted three days. Yes. Okay is is forever 3 days? <laughs> no, no. No, forever, right? Forever is a really 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 long time, right? Okay? It's a it's, it's what? It's a yeah, okay. So it's it's your entire life, right? What other promises have you made? Apparently, there's a family discussion here, okay? So you made a promise you would keep your room clean. Your brother's asking you, really? When? So there's some skepticism there. How long did you, were you able to keep your room clean? Um, a, couple days. a couple days. So you guys are sort of on the understanding of, hey, forever is only a couple days long or three days long, right? You, you made your mom's bed? Okay, how long did that, did you continue to do that? You don't know. I'm getting the sense that when you guys make a promise, it doesn't always go as planned. Is that right? Yeah. Why not? It broke up. The promise broke. You broke the promise. Um, you're, you're not perfect. But why would you make a promise if you're not perfect? Because we're kids and we don't understand what's realistic. <laughs> and what's real? Okay, I'm not going to give you a pass on this. You know, so so you don't know what the future is. But why would you make a promise in the first place? You want to try as hard as you can. What? That's how God made us. It's how God made us. He made us to make a promise. Is that right? No. No. He made, how did He make us? He made us so um, we have, like, the steak and Okay. And we, like, get some um, problems or we have accidents, like, um, right. not keeping a promise. And sometimes our friends, when we keep a promise to them, they get mad. And okay, sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, and sometimes those things happen, but here's what's great about God, and I appreciate what you said. God knows us better than we know ourselves, right? So he makes a promise to us. Let me ask you this question. Does he ever break his promises? No, he kept one for one whole year. God kept a promise for one whole year. I think he's kept them a little bit longer than that, but one year's a good compared to your three-year, three-day thing. Yeah, he's doing really well. Okay, so, okay, so so let me ask you this, why does it help you does it help you understand who God is better by him keeping promises and you struggling to keep promises? Do we learn about God a little bit better that way? Yeah, yeah what are some things that we learn about God? Go ahead. We learn like God can't make any accidents and it seems like it is not true. Okay, all right, that works. So God's going to work through no matter what's going on. Anything else you want to throw in? Go ahead, Avery. He's always perfect, and he will never break his promise. So if God makes a promise to you, what can we do? We can know for sure that it's going to happen. Exactly. We can know for sure it's going to happen. So this morning, we get to take a look at the greatest promise keeper of all time by the name of Jesus, right? So we're going to take a look at him as we take a look at this passage in Galatians chapter 3. All right? So that's it. All right? You guys go ahead and sit down. You like my socks. Thank you. I like you. All right, thank you. So promises, and it was really one of the things that I've enjoyed about doing these children's messages is that there is such truth shared by these children. I'm going to make a promise forever that I will keep my room clean. It lasts for a grand total of 72 hours, right? Right? Forever is a really long time, but yet we still make those types of promises. We think that we can actually pull this off. And what ends up happening is, is this, is that promises, something's happened over time. And as I was working on the message this week, I, I was thinking about this regarding promises. Why is it at the bottom of a company's promise of a lifetime warranty is their fine print? At what point did making a promise need a written documentation rather than just simply a person's word? Why is it so often that our first thought after a person makes a promise to us is not one of relief that they made a promise, but rather a question about how long are they going to fulfill this promise? I don't think I'm asking questions that are out of the norm here, but I, but I do want us to realize that promises, promises in the world in which we live today, oftentimes are broken. And it's my contention that when we take a look at God's Word and read about the promises that God makes us, in those deep places in our lives, we're wondering, will he break his promise as well? Because it's so rare that we've seen promises fulfilled. It's so rare that we've seen promises uh, not just fulfilled, but, but, but they continue to, to move forward. They continue to live out that commitment. Promises Promises are real. And the unfortunate reality is there's a phrase out there that we're all too familiar with. Promises are made to be broken. It's a reality that we face all the time. And so we've, we understand that reality and it comes smack up against the fact that God doesn't break his promises. It's difficult for us to comprehend this. It's difficult for us to digest this. And so I invite you right now to go to Galatians chapter 3 as we continue walking through Galatians. And Paul addresses this issue of promises. You can go there in your Bible or, or on, your, on, on the app on your phone. And, and for those of you that are interested and you, you want a Bible and you're looking at the, the pew rack right in front of you and you see Bibles there, Go to page 973. That's where this passage is that we're looking at this morning. And by the way, if you need a Bible, feel free to take it, okay? So we encourage stealing here. Um, so, but seriously, if you, if you need a Bible, please take it. We'll, we'd be more than happy. And if you have questions about it, let us know. But listen to these words that Paul writes. Starting at verse 15, he says this. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the the law, then it no longer depends on the promise, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness certainly, certainly would have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Christ Jesus, might be given to those who believe. Father, we pray now as we take a look at this passage, we take a look at what it means that you've given us promises. We would ask that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, open our eyes that we can see your promises and the reality of those promises. That you'd open our ears that we can hear the reality of your promises. That you would open our minds so that we can understand what that promise and promises mean. And that you would take our hearts and transform them by the promise that you care for humanity and that you came to rescue humanity. Lord, may no one hear anything that I say, but may they only hear what it is that you want them to hear, that you need them to hear. And may you, Lord Jesus Christ, receive every bit of glory this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so he starts with this. He says, brothers and sisters, let, us, let me take an example from everyday life. Jesus Christ has the ability, God has the ability to do everyday life promises. And one of the things I love about Paul as I continue working through this book of galatians is that paul continues to appeal to a variety of ways to get his point across and what he does here is he reminds us that there's everyday life examples of god at work following christ is an everyday life experience it's not an every now and then experience it's not hey it's a it's a it's a thursday i'm going to follow jesus today It's an everyday life experience, and as we go through everyday life, we experience God's promises again and again. I think so often we're tempted to think that, well, I need to go here to experience God, or I need to go there to experience God, but yet as you read through Scripture, as you read through Scripture, God seems to interact with people in the everyday mundaneness of Of their lives. Moses was out doing what he was supposed to do when the burning bush happened. Moses wasn't doing anything out of the norm. He was doing precisely what he was supposed to be doing that day, and God interrupts his day. Gideon is out threshing threshing wheat and and threshing this, this crop or whatever, and he's there doing what he normally does. God shows up. The shepherds were out one night, watching over their flock, and God shows up. Paul is walking to Damascus because he's on a mission, doing what Paul normally did, which was persecute the church. God shows up. God shows up all the time in everyday life. So often, we're not paying attention to it. So often, we don't realize that there are examples of God's goodness to us right before our eyes. Our phones. Our phones, these things, are magnificent pieces of machinery. There's more technology in your phone than put the man on the moon. That's amazing to me. And these, these phones have GPS in them, and we get, we get blown away that we can be tracked by a satellite hundreds and hundreds of miles away, and yet it knows our location within 50 feet. That's impressive. But here's something more impressive. The God of all creation, the Lord of all creation, knows not only exactly where you are, but he knows exactly what's going on in your life. No GPS can do that. God has that ability. He has that ability to take care of us. And so there's an everyday reminder of the closeness of God. Adam, when he came up to do the offering, alluded to this this s'more example that Don Meister gave us last night. And as Don was laying out the whole s'more thing in Jesus Christ, I'm going, this guy's got it figured out. The graham cracker represents the foundation of our faith, which is Jesus Christ. Salvation can be found in no one else except for Jesus Christ. He is the foundation of a s'more. He is that graham cracker. And then Don took it to the next level, and it's this, a graham cracker, to be, it's just a graham cracker, but then you add the melted marshmallow, representing God melting our hearts by his grace and us repenting of our sin and saying, I need you in my life. And as that marshmallow melts into the graham cracker, eventually what ends up happening, you cannot get all the marshmallow out of the foundation of Jesus Christ. He's there. You're there in him. And then Don held up a piece of chocolate. I did not storm him or anything like that and fight him for it. I let him continue on in his example, and it was this. The chocolate represents the blessing that comes through our foundational faith in Jesus Christ and giving our life to Jesus Christ, and we are blessed by God's blessings and grace all the time. And I love the fact that chocolate is considered a blessing in this analogy. But here's a real-life example, and it's an everyday reminder of who God is. That's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying, listen, I'm just going to give you an example from everyday life. Folks, look at your life. Even if there are difficulties going on, and there are, there's chaos erupting all around you, God is placing things in your life to remind you that He is right there. Continues on, he says, just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is, so it is, in this case, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. And notice the next line, notice the next phrase. Scripture does not say, end to seeds, meaning many people, but end to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ hear me clearly on this. All of Scripture, all of Scripture points to Jesus Christ. All of Scripture points to Jesus Christ. From Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation 22, the hero of Scripture is Jesus Christ. It's one of the reasons why I share with you every Sunday, no matter where we are in God's Word, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, it is It is the reason why every single Sunday you'll hear about Jesus Christ. Because he is the hero of Scripture. Therefore, he needs to be the hero of any message that is proclaimed from this platform. Does that make sense? All throughout Scripture, we see Jesus Christ in action. And we might not see him directly, but it's pointing to Jesus Christ. God's promise, and this is, what, this is what Paul's alluding to, and not just alluding to, this is what Paul's addressing here in verse 16. All of Scripture is a reminder of God's promise of grace that has been around for a really long time. Check out this list that we're going to talk about for just a few moments. The first is this. How do we see God's grace that's been... How do we see this promise of grace that's been around for a long time? Well, we don't have to look any further than Genesis chapter 1, creation. God did that. It wasn't like a group of humanity got together and said, we need to create something. No, God created. God created that. How else do we see a promise of God's grace? Well, read Genesis chapter 3. Humanity falls. Humanity blows it. Humanity makes that step of going into sinfulness. And immediately what happens, God, yes, he confronts them, he addresses those issues, but God then provides for them clothing. Humanity didn't ask for it, God provided it. We come to Genesis chapter 15, Abraham has no children. Abraham is told, I'm promising you that your offspring will they'll outnumber the stars in the sky, the sands on the seashore. Genesis chapter 15, Abraham wasn't doing anything and then all of a sudden God says, I'm going to take care of you. Don't worry about it. The last 10 or 11 chapters of Genesis are a constant reminder of God's promise of grace in this. Joseph is in the right place at the right time every single moment. God's working through that. We jump to Exodus chapter 3, Moses in the burning bush. Moses Moses didn't understand what his role was, and God meets him and says, you're going to be the one to rescue my people. Moses didn't do that. God did. We go to Exodus chapter 13. The Israelites leaving Egypt. The Israelites didn't say, hey, we need to come up with an escape plan. No, God provided the escape plan. They walked through. Joshua chapter 6 They're taking on, they're going into the promised land, and God, in his amazing way, says, I want you to march around this city seven times and watch what happens. That's a horrible military idea, by the way. But yet what happens? God's promise of grace comes through. I submit to you, and trust me on this, the list goes on and on and on. Paul is pointing to that very thing. Paul is saying that these promises of God's grace, this promise of God's grace is legitimate. This promise of God's grace has been in existence for a long time. Look what he says in verse 17. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later, real quick caveat, the very thing that the Judaizers were wanting everybody to focus on, by the way. We want you to focus on the law. And Paul's saying... You want us to focus on the law? Why don't we go back 430 years and focus on God's promise? Because God's promise is important to understand. He says, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. What Paul's saying is if you want, to depend, if you want your salvation to depend on doing works, you're violating the promise, and the promise was put in place the first time before the law. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise, not through the law. Every day, every day, God is promising that he won't let us down. Every day, God promises that he's going to walk with us through whatever comes our way. It's not because we're working harder. It's not because we're doing more. It's because God's promises come through. And Paul continues on because he knows where the Judaizers and the false teachers, and perhaps you and I are going to go, and it's this. It's going to say, well, what's the purpose of the law? Look at verse 19. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Throughout Scripture, the promise overshadows the law all the time. It just does. The promise overshadows the law. The promise needs to be where our focus is. But one of the things that I've noticed in my own life is when I spend more time trying to prove my worth to others or to God, the focus is much more on me than it is on God. When I focus on the promise that God has made in Jesus Christ, being forgiveness, being unconditional love, being that I'm I'm restored, all of a sudden the focus shifts to where it needs to go. Where's your focus right now? Is your focus set up in such a way that it's all about you? Because that's what he's addressing here. And he's he's addressing that issue of of, you guys want to focus so much on the law. Well, we'll focus on the law for a few minutes, but here's the reason why the law was there. It was added, verse 19, It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law points us to the promise of God's grace. That's why the law is there. The law reveals our sinfulness. What is sin? It's anything that, that falls short of the glory of God. It's anything that disrupts that connection that we have with God. That's what sin is. It's, it's, it, this law reminds us that we have struggles. We have issues. You heard the children up here. I made a promise to keep my room clean forever how long did that promise last? Three days. And we chuckle about it, but in a grander scheme, when we make promises and we break them, it reveals the fact that we are sinful. It also reveals the fact, and this is a hard thing for us to grasp, especially in this country in which we live, it reveals our powerlessness we want to believe that we're powerful enough to do this we want to believe that we're powerful enough to do that we want to believe that we can do it all on our own yet the law exposes us it exposes us that we're not as powerful as we think we are it exposes the fact that deep in our lives there are issues that keep rearing their ugly head so we're in a little bit of a quagmire here because we make promises and we make promises to God that we're going to do this, we're going to do that. But yet, fulfilling those promises oftentimes doesn't happen very well. I invite you to turn your Bibles way back to Genesis chapter 15. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 15 And this, and you'll notice if you've been with us for the past few weeks as we've been walking through Galatians, I've now officially lost count how many times I've made references to Genesis 15. And I told you this when I made the first reference a number of weeks ago. Genesis 15 is arguably one of the most important chapters in all of Scripture. Because it tells us so much about God. And so we have this issue where we want to follow the law. We want to do all these things. And yet Paul says, you can't do it because you don't have the capability to do it. You need to place your trust in the promise, in the one who made the promise, in God himself. And God understands that about us. In Genesis chapter 15, we start at verse 9. So Yahweh said to him, and by the way, the context is, Abraham says, listen, are you really good on the promise? And God says, I'm going to show you how good I am on the promise. Verse 9. So Yahweh said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham said, Abram brought all these things to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. Real quickly, and, I, and I've addressed this issue before, I think it was quite a while ago, back in this time to make a covenant with someone meant this, that you would take a sacrifice, you would make a sacrifice, and you would cut the sacrifice in half. You would put half of the, of the sacrifice on this side, you'd put the other half of the sacrifice on this side, and then you would join hands with the person that you're making this commitment to, and you would walk through these sacrifices, these cut-up parts. And what you're saying is, I'm making a covenant with you, and by passing through these cut-up carcasses, if I violate this covenant, then what we've done to these carcasses, you can do to me. Entering into a covenant, entering into a promise was not made lightly. And so Abram does this. Verse 12, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then Yahweh said to him, know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age." in the fourth generation your your descendants will come back here for the sin of the amorites has not yet reached its full measure so abram's asleep and god says this is what's going to happen he reveals that to him in a vision and then verse 17 when the sun had set and darkness had fallen a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces God throughout Scripture is referred to as the light. Remember what I said, you have carcasses, you have a divided, you have this sacrifice, you are going to join hands with the person that you're going to walk through to establish this covenant. That seals it, meaning this, if there's a violation of the covenant, what happened to those those sacrifices is going to happen to you. But notice what happens in verse 17. God walks through the carcasses, not hand in hand with Abram, but by himself, by himself. Because he knows that humanity can't do what needs to be done. God walks through these carcasses by himself. He walks through because he knows that he can take care of keeping the promise. This is why Genesis 15 is so important. And a quick caveat again. It's why knowing the Old Testament is so important. It's because it helps us understand who God is. It helps us understand what Jesus Christ experienced for us. And then we go back to Genesis cha- or Galatians chapter 3. So Paul lays this out and says, in essence, the law exposes and reveals our sinfulness. The law's purpose is to reveal our powerlessness. God doesn't need any help in in helping us keep in, in keeping his promise because he established it on his own. And then verse 20, verse 21 in Galatians chapter 3. And Oh, by the way, real quickly, in verse 20, notice what it says. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Paul is again alluding back to Genesis 15, when God went through this by himself. He's the mediator. He's the one who's done it all. Verse 21. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? And you can almost hear Paul scream this, absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Paul now points to the keeper of the promise. He points to the one, Jesus Christ. He points to the one that's done it all. Humanity is locked up by sin. Scripture reveals that to us over and over again. We have an issue. And I love Paul's use of the word of this phrase, locked up. The other day, I went to to a store to buy hydrogen peroxide. This blew my mind. Hydrogen peroxide is now under lock and key. I'm going, what? What? Why is hydrogen peroxide under lock and key? Maybe it's the place I was, sh- I was shopping. I don't know. Yeah, it was Walmart. I didn't want to bring up the name, but you just said it, so we'll just get it out there. But I sat there going, this is strange to me. Hydrogen peroxide. Then I was talking to Tracy Harris earlier, and she says, yeah, baby formula is also under lock and key. I'm going, what? So my question is this. Why are things under lock and key? It's because laws get broken. Things are under lock and key because we are sinful people. You don't put things behind under lock and key because people know how to deal with it. You put things under lock and key because people break the law. Does this make sense? You see what's going on here? And it's not, it just blew my mind. I sat there going, this this is crazy to me. But laws are in place because we break them. There's a reason why there's a law against murder. Because at one time, murder happens. There's a reason why we're told, do not steal. Why? Because stealing happens. You see where I'm going here? What ends up happening is humanity is locked up by sin. Scripture reveals this to us over and over again. But what's great about God is this is that He knows we need a promise keeper. He knows we need Jesus Christ. If a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. question for you to consider. If humanity could gain righteousness with God on its own, then how does one explain what happened to Jesus? If we could get righteousness on our own, why did Jesus Christ come to this, come to this world, come to, this, come to humanity? Why? Why did he do what he did if everything is okay and we can get there on our own? We can experience joy on our own. We can experience peace on our own. We can experience power on our own. We can experience love on our own. Why then did he come? He came because we can't do it on our own. He came because He's the one that fulfills the promise. He came because we need a promise keeper. He gives this through faith in Christ Jesus. This fulfillment. It's through faith in Him. And when that faith in Jesus Christ becomes a reality in a person's life, it changes everything. The keeper of the promise continues making a difference in the lives of those who've placed their trust in him. How do I know this to be true? Yesterday afternoon at the camping trip, it was an incredibly hot afternoon. It was 95 degrees up at Mount Madonna. Felt like I was on the surface of the sun there for a little while. And people, because this, this, this congregation knows that I come from Scottsdale and I lived there for 16 years, I think five or six people said, well, you should be used to this because you lived in Scottsdale. Let me tell you something. No, I'm not used to it. I could put my head in an oven every single day of my life and crank it to 400 degrees. I'm still not going to get used to it. Hot is hot. It was hot and so we're having because we're geniuses Marcus Adam myself and other adults said let's play kickball (laughs) and so we decide to get the students and the children and we're playing a kickball game in 95 degrees and we're not playing in the shade we're playing where there is no shade we begin to play we begin to play. And one of the teams began to assert their domination over the other team. I was on the receiving end of the domination. Marcus and I both were on that team. Adam was on the other team. I think he stacked his team. But anyway. It wasn't the fact that there was this that that one team was so much better than the other. There was laughter, there was joy, there was trash talking, there was all this stuff going on. It was a great experience. But then something happened. Something happened that reminded me of God's promise that he cares for humanity. Something happened that will be forever etched in my mind as an example of what God does through people who've placed their faith in Him. our team was up we were down by what do you think Marcus 25 runs probably. we were, probably we were getting destroyed and all of a sudden Kevin Camacho comes out onto the field I don't know if you know who Kevin Camacho is but I know this you experience him every single Sunday because Kevin and his family sit back in this area and every now and then Kevin has an outburst because Kevin's a special needs kid He's limited, so limited. And what he can do with people. (laughs) And he came out onto the field. And he wanted to play. And he played. And everybody on that field, our team, Adam's team, everybody on that field stopped and watched him play. And Kevin came out to pitch. (laughs) And I'm going to try his best to imitate what he did because it was priceless. He comes out to pitch. He's handed the ball. And Kevin leans back like this and everybody's screaming so happy for him. He's like this, and then he does this. (laughs) And pitched. We laughed. But what struck me was God was fulfilling his promise. A promise that says, I love humanity. I care for humanity. And when people understand that they're cared for, they then extend that grace and peace and love to others. Kevin came in, pitches the ball, everybody screams, everybody has a great time, and Kevin's face beams from ear to ear. That happens because God's grace continues changing life. Look at the verse 15. Everyday examples. They're all around us. Everyday examples of God doing great things. Everyday examples of people happening, happening to come into our lives that say, I'm here, and God is taking care of me. I want to invite the band to come up as we get ready to continue on with singing a couple more songs and as they come up I want you to pay very careful attention to what I'm about to say a promise is only as reliable as the one making the promise a promise is only reliable as the one making the promise Jesus Christ fulfills every promise that he ever made I've come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. I will, be betr- I will be betrayed, beaten, crucified, and buried, yet on the third day I will rise again. In me you have forgiveness of sin. I will return one day. I am with you forever and ever. He's the one that makes those promises, and is he reliable? He most certainly is. It's my prayer that in all of our lives, especially as we sing these next couple songs, that we would sing them with such vigor and and passion because they're true, because God says, I can fulfill the promise just as I've changed your life and I've changed the way you look at people and I've changed the way you interact with people so a Kevin Camacho can come out and people can rejoice in that because I care for you, I care for him, I've died for you, I've died for him, you've placed your trust in me. May that faith continue to be built not on you making promises to me, but may that faith continue to be built on the promise that I have come to save you. May that be true in each and every one of our lives. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, please track me down. Because he's the one that's reliable. He's the one that fulfills every promise. He's the one that will never, ever fail. Father, we pray now, as we come into this time of responding to you, Lord, I confess to you that so often I get get so caught up in trying to promise you this or that. Yet I know how many times I've fallen. So have mercy on me. Have mercy on all of us for the times that we've said we're going to promise to do this and we don't do it. Father, would you... Remind us to fix our eyes not on us making promises but on you making promises and always coming through. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for being the ultimate promise keeper, the one who never fails, the one who always comes through. May we fix our eyes on you and it's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I invite you to stand and sing.